Welcome to The Sword and Trowel. The Sword and Trowel is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. Delighted to have you join us again today, and uh, we want to mention a few things we got going in terms of book sales. We've got uh, a couple of books that are fresh off the press. Uh, the primer for conflict, Graham, over there by you, has just uh, been made available, and you can order it. We've got another one called... Um, the beauty of the binary mm-hmm. that is coming out that deals with some of the sexual confusion issues in our day and looks at that from a biblical standpoint, trying to uh, recover some of the basic realities about ontology and just uh, what <laughs> what is, what's not, what can't be made up. So I encourage you to go to founders.org and you can find those books for sale there. Well, today we're delighted to have a very special guest with us, Yoram Hazoni, who's the chairman of the Edmund Burke Foundation and president of the Herzl Institute, who's written this book last year came out, Conservatism, a Rediscovery, uh, created quite a splash uh, in the uh, political debates and conversations going on here in America, but I think probably beyond that as well. It's been a wonderful read for me to stretch, challenge, and cause me to go back to the sources and look at some things. The footnotes are incredibly helpful in this book. So, Dr. Hazoni, thank you for joining us today. Uh, We appreciate your time, and uh, tell us a little bit if you don't mind, about your work with the Edmund Burke Foundation and the Herzl Institute. Sure, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, the, the Herzl Institute is a uh, is uh, an Israeli organization that that I uh, headed uh, ran t- with, together with colleagues for for, for many years. Um, it it, it uh, does a combination of uh, political theory together with uh, Hebrew Bible and some theology. And uh, over the years, we've run lots of um, sessions for uh, for Americans and Europeans, uh, sc- scholars, academics, journalists, and and uh, and uh, students uh, who are interested in uh, understanding better uh, the place of uh, the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament um, within our world, and uh, including uh, potentially within Christianity. The, the Edmund Burke Foundation is a newer project. Uh, it, it was set up in, in the wake of, um, of uh, Brexit in 2016 and the, the, the Trump administration. Um, it's an international uh, organization. I, I have uh, friends working with me um, uh, in uh, America, Britain, Italy, Hungary, and uh, uh, other, other countries. Uh, and the the aim of the uh, the Edmund Burke Foundation is to gather together the strength of uh, groups that still are maintaining to some kind of uh, traditionalist uh, conservative politics uh, in democratic nations. I mean, I, I I think everybody by this point understands that at least by 2020 there. There's been a cultural revolution that's taken place in uh, in America and other Western democracies, and what what used to be uh, the dominance of uh, liberal ideas across the political spectrum for I don't know 50, 60, 70 years uh, se- seems to have collapsed, and uh, there's still plenty of liberals running around, but. Uh, but the new woke neo-Marxism, which is making a bid to uh, establish ideological hegemony in America and throughout the West, it's certainly not liberalism. It's a it's a new thing, 
and uh, the Edmund Burke Foundation uh, uh, holds um, has been holding uh, big annual conferences in uh, in America and in Europe. Uh, in May, we're having a big NatCon UK uh, gathering gathering together the uh, motivated, talented, uh, uh, brilliant speakers and writers. Uh, to talk about uh, what our alternatives are in this very, very difficult time. Mm. You write in the back of your book about uh, some of your own personal journey and how you came to uh, embrace and live what you call a conservative life um, as a Jewish man. Do you mind telling us uh, about that? You don't have to recount everything in the book, but just the fact that you today, you you have nine children. Is that correct? Did I get that right? That's correct. My wife and I have nine children. Right. Yeah. I don't want to discount your wife at all. I have six and my wife has six. So that's a total of six only. But, um, and we're in the stage now where we've got, uh, 16 grandchildren, two on the way. And I know you've, I think have some grandchildren that, uh, are with you or near yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. You're, 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 you're well ahead of, ahead of us. We, we, we have three grandchildren at this point. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're still marrying them off. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we, we were, we had a wonderful time of life. We're enjoying the grandkids, but with that, I mean, you are a, um, a, a Jewish man who practices your faith and you do that keeping Sabbath, you do that keeping dietary laws and such. Tell us about that. How did you, how did you come to, um, embrace that life? Well, th- th- this is kind of an, uh, it, it's an old story. I tell the story in my in in the book uh, of um, my wife and I meeting in college. Um, she 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 actually uh, co- converted to Judaism, um, and uh, I, I both both of us came from uh, from very non traditional uh, homes, uh, beset by. You know all the problems that most people are are are, are going through. Um, you know, fa- families that find 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 it difficult to keep a marriage together. Families that find it difficult to uh, to uh, uh, to teach their the, their children the the importance of uh, uh, God and Scripture and tradition. Uh, and by the time we met our freshman year in in college. I think we had we had each decided that we were uh, that we were looking for a different life, and um, I, I I think to put it simply, it's very very difficult to um, to, to establish a life of uh, truth and meaning, you know, not to mention you know piety and sanctity, um, in a world in which you're taught that the only thing that's important is maintaining absolute individual choice and freedom at every moment mm. uh, because because anything anything that's worthwhile in life in, in involves to a certain degree give, giving up the choice and freedom if you decide to get married uh, then you're deciding to give up the freedom to be with you know any woman that you want mm. and if you decide to have children then you're giving up the freedom to be able to uh, to to uh, behave in a uh, in a childish and unproductive way, you have to take responsibilities for the people you're bringing into the world, and you 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 you, you can con- continue this way. In in the the world uh, of our grandparents, and th- for thousands of years before that, the main question in life was where do your where do your duties lie? 
uh, where do you have obligations? And um, and a decent person was a person who um, who did his or her best to uphold those ob- obligations under uh, extremely difficult circumstances. So since since um, at least after World War II, uh, American culture, which you know at, at this point has become you know kind of a world culture, certainly in democratic countries, American culture has has focused on. Um, liberating everyone from all of these obligations, and from you know from the time children go to school until the time they go to college until until old age, everybody's uh, in in the ambient culture is telling them no. Actually, you don't have any obligations unless you choose them. And uh, I I think that my wife and I were even though we were very young, uh, we had this feeling that. Uh, that overthrowing and disregarding all possible obligations um, is 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 not a path to uh, to a, a meaningful or even a very happy life. And uh, over decades, you know, we, we we've only become stronger in this in uh, in the, the the feeling that uh, by uh, upholding the traditions of our ancestors, by uh, learning about uh, what's important about our God and our nations by keeping um, uh, close to Scripture and uh, teaching it to our children and grandchildren and living in a neighborhood where where these things are still the norm. By doing these things, um, we we feel that we're upholding a constructive, decent, moral life that is a uh, that's a beacon to others. Uh, whereas all around us, we see people who are uh, finding it ever more difficult to 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 do the simplest things in, in a productive way. So um, conservatism to you then, you know, the, the book is largely political theory, political philosophy. But for you, it's it's much more than that. Well, I, I, I just don't think politics can be can be separated from from the personal. I mean, uh, this is something, if, if you look at texts from antiquity, um, and, and this, you know, certainly inc- includes the Bible, but, you know, it, it, it also includes uh, Plato and Aristotle. I mean, the, all of these texts assume that, that the way that the individual person lives his or her life is the fundamental building block of a, a proper political life, and so I, I kind of think that that what I'm proposing is simply to go back to something that that used to be very clear, which is mm. you cannot have a strong nation if it doesn't if it doesn't consist of strong families, strong congregations, um, strong you know larger tribal groupings that together make up the nation. I mean, the, for for our ancestors, the the idea that you could have a strong nation m- made out of uh, a decadence and corruption at the level of the the individual would have looked simply absurd. Yeah. So your uh, Graham and I are uh, Protestant Reformed Christians in the Free Church tradition, and so we have a, a lot of uh, assumptions that have been built into our way of thinking about life, including politics that wouldn't be uh, consistent with perhaps the way that you have argued in your book. 
about political theory, political life, conservative life in a political uh, realm that's conservative. But uh, there's much that what you've written just resonates with us in terms especially of going back and thinking about the foundations. And it's fascinating to see uh, you, committed Jewish man, talking about America as a Christian nation, as a good thing, and that that needs to be recovered. So we obviously have differences in our beliefs uh, in terms of what it means to be rightly related to God. And yet you don't seem to have any fear of talking about America needing to recover its Christian heritage that's not Jewish in primarily there was Jewish involvement, but uh, how, explain to us how that works for someone who may be thinking this man is setting his own trap here. You know? <laughs> well, I, I don't quite see it like that. Um, look, um, my uh, Maimonides wrote a famous letter, uh, the, 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 the great, um, uh, medieval Jewish uh, rabbi and philosopher wrote a famous letter in which he said that um, uh, that in uh, in in spreading uh, the Jewish scriptures uh, the Christians are uh, fulfilling uh, God's role in the world and I I certainly am am of that opinion I mean the, the, you're right that there are uh, Judaism and Christianity are two very different things. And, uh, uh, and, and there's many things that we disagree about. But um, at a very fundamental level, uh, the, the struggle for, a, uh, for a, 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 a decent civilization right now is one in which Christians and Jews can agree about, you know, about many of the basic things. I mean, the, the, we live in a society in which uh, uh, honoring God and Scripture uh, ha- has been almost entirely eliminated from the public sphere, from the from the schools, from the universities. Um, that's something that Jews and Christians can agree about. Um, the 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 importance of uh, uh, of uh, nation and family, the importance of um, congregation and community, uh, the the sanctity of marriage. Uh, Man and woman values like uh, like um, uh, uh, loyalty and piety. All of these are things that that Jews and Christians agree about because uh, for for the last couple of thousand years we 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 have indeed shared a scripture. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, I, I'm very. I I, I told a uh, a uh, a Christian friend not long ago. Um, that uh, I, I'm sure that there's some life that, that that I could have led in which I would have been, you know, ha- very happy to to spend my time in uh, in uh, um, thoughtful arguments with Christians about uh, scripture and about uh, theology and the proper way to live. But that's that's not the world in which I've found myself. Mm-hmm. I find myself in 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 a world that is hanging by a thread. And um, although Christians and Jews are very different things, I, I think we need each other uh, as friends and allies at this time mm-hmm. and uh, probably for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and I, I, mean, I think that's, that spirit resonates uh, throughout your book, and, and I'm grateful for it. it it's um, been good in my own reading and trying to think through this because, I, again, James Lindsay is a friend of mine, atheist. You know, he's, he doesn't 
believe the Lord Jesus is the Savior of the world. Uh, as a Jew, you wouldn't believe that, and I do believe that. Uh, re- respond to this, if you don't mind, and, and looking at the mess that we're in, in the world, in the West, in America, uh, I've concluded that our only hope, our only hope is for God to do something significant. And so in the way that I've couched that is that we, we need desperately another incredible outpouring of God's grace and mercy and power through the ministry of his spirit, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm thinking back to like Jonathan Edwards in the uh, pre-revolutionary times where uh, he and George Whitfield and the Wesleys and others just traveled across the colonies preaching and teaching this message that did change people, that helped to form people into a a way of living, a way of thinking that I I believe provided some good uh, guardrails to keep us from going down the path that the French did in their revolution. So, I mean, I'm speaking as an evangelical Christian. How, How does that kind of hope and that kind of sense of, yeah, this is what we need uh, how does that correspond to what you're seeing, what you're arguing for? Well, I, I, I certainly agree with you about about the guardrails. I think I, I think that um, that uh, Hebrew scripture uh, places a much greater emphasis on um, on action in the action in the world uh, than say say the the New Testament. And I, I I wouldn't usually make this argument, but I was I was just in a uh, at, at a Christian university a, a couple of months ago, where uh, it, it was it was very clear I was speaking to the student body, and the students kept asking me, you know, what why should why should we be involved in in the political struggles of our day? Shouldn't isn't it more important for us to uh, uh, to spread the gospel mm-hmm. and to to get close to God? And I told them, look, I'm not a Christian theologian, so I, you know, I, I can't a- answer in place of your pastor. But I, but I can tell you what, what as a, a biblical Jew, or for, for us, the Scripture is, is uh, the Old Testament. That what what we see is that God loves those who act in the world. God loves, <coughs> excuse me, uh, God, God loves Abraham for uh, for for leaving his home and founding a nation. God loves Moses for for uh, liber- liberating a people from from slavery, um, God loves uh, David for establishing uh, es- establishing uh, the kingdom of Israel on on solid foundations, and so I think I think Christians, you know, Christians always have this question of what's what exactly is their relationship to to the Old Testament. And I know that there today there are many Christians who uh, find the Old Testament uh, uncomfortable. The Old Testament is the most politically incorrect, you know, book in, in print today. And uh, what 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 happens? I, and I, I keep running into this is that many young Christians find the you know the particularism and the nationalism and you know the uh, the, the 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 wars of the Old Testament the. Um, the, the the concern with uh, with a particular uh, nation and its faith, all of these things are very difficult for people who want to say, look, it's just it's just about my personal relationship with God. Um, but those Christians who continue to 
take the Old Testament seriously as part of their Christianity, I find it very, very easy to talk to them mm. because th- th- those Christians were still, in that sense, Old Testament Christians. That, that's part of their Christianity. Uh, th- they understand that that if 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 they don't step forward to try to reconquer uh, the public sphere in America and Britain in in other European countries, then then if they don't do it, then they they shouldn't be surprised if if you know God in the end makes the decision to let America go the way of Sodom. I I mean it. I I certainly agree with you that all of us are praying for uh, for God's mercy and uh, and and His grace, but there is some kind of on a on a Jewish biblical view there is some kind of um, relationship, uh, not always clear, but some kind of relationship b- between our willingness, the willingness of uh, of uh, believing um, human actors. To um, to step forward and fight when it looks like all is lost, mm-hmm. and uh, God's willingness to uh, to forgive us for some of our sins and to to uh, help us possibly uh, achieve a surprising victory. Well, you know, it's interesting um, in Psalm one that you see the tree planted by the streams, and the the tree planted by the streams that flourishes. It's the man who meditates on the law of God and who does the commandments of, of God. And, uh, the law of God is not just limited to our personal lives. The law of God expands to every aspect of, of human existence and every aspect of human life. Um, and so I think, I think you're right in a lot in the fact that a lot of Christians have been satisfied with just limiting their religion, limiting their experience of God to their, just their personal lives and not seeing the way in which it should flow out to society, should flow out to, the nations and and you're right also in seeing that uh, a lot of Christians are uncomfortable with some of the things in the Old Testament and as a pastor you know I I take that as an opportunity when I see that in somebody I take that as an opportunity to show them that you know you've been more shaped by the things of this world rather than the God of Scripture who has revealed himself to you in both Old and New Testament. Mm-hmm. So whatever comes to us in the Old Testament whatever comes to us in the New Testament should not make us comfortable and if it does make us or should not make us uncomfortable. If it does make us uncomfortable, we need to realize that that reveals a deficiency in ourselves. Yeah, I would agree. I, I sometimes uh, enjoy just putting up on social media or in some other platform where it's readily available, just scriptures, just just <laughs> blanket scriptures. And people will say, how dare you? That's what the slave owners used, you know? And it's like uh, any other Bible verses we should be embarrassed about. <laughs> Give me a list here. Uh, well, what, what you articulated is, um, it made me think of, of Francis Schaeffer, who argued for co-belligerency. Uh, among people of goodwill who share some core values whose theology would be different. And so we would have uh, uh, real good reasons to sit down and disagree theologically on things that are important, but we can link arms together to uh, protect unborn children, for example, or to contend against this onslaught of uh, radical and weaponized immorality that's coming in to try to destroy our children. And I, I, I would say yes and amen to that, and I do think that's where it is. And we, our tradition, Graham and my tradition, is that, um, uh, that it, there's been kind of this subjective pietism, you know, where it is Jesus and me 
or maybe the church, Jesus and me, but we keep it within the four walls of our assembly. And as you're talking about the Old Testament and the, the wars and things that God instructed people to do and God did, I think of the New Testament in the statement, Jesus is Lord, is the most political statement in the world because it Caesar's not Lord, the state is not God, and the state and Caesar and everything and everybody is accountable to our Lord. And that, that thought and trying to work out the implications of it it, uh, it speaks to politics, which the New Testament does, not with great detail, certainly not the way the Old Testament does, but it does that God is the one who establishes civil authorities as his deacons, his servants, to do good. And I, if Christians could get that much and realize, okay, if they're obligated to the Lord Jesus to do good in their role as civil magistrates, who is it that's going to teach them what's good? Who is it that's going to help them understand their responsibility to a God that they may have no regard for, but their lack of regard doesn't discount the reality? And that's the obligation of the church. That's the obligation of those of us who know God. So I think we have great, much ground on which to stand uh, shoulder to shoulder in, in this massive onslaught that's coming against us to try to withstand it. And again, we have admonitions in the New Testament, stand firm in the evil day. So in that sense, I do feel a great appreciation for you and others that we would disagree theologically on things, but we, we see some of the same things and we're committed to trying to withstand them uh, to the best of our ability. Does that make sense to you? Or is that uh, you comfortable yeah, yes, with Christians I'll, like that? Look, I'll tell you what, what does not make sense to me is that, that in the early 1960s, the, the United States of America, which had both in terms of its public culture and in terms of of its laws it had been a christian christian nation up until you know at least until the second world war uh, th- what makes no sense to me is that in the 1960s the united states decided to remove god and scripture mm-hmm. from <clears throat> from the school systems mm-hmm. uh, throughout the united states and th- th- this is created in two generations an America in which the kinds of things that, um, that that you've just been saying, which used to be obvious to everyone, are now completely alien and and, and hostile to the co- culture that that has been been created, and I, I don't I don't think it can be uh, any individual and his or her relationship with you know direct relationship with God alone to the exclusion of concerning yourself with very basic questions like um, are, are the children gro- growing up in this country going to be a- aliens to scripture are they mm-hmm. are they are they really going to spend every week of their lives uh, six or eight hours a day with teachers and principals and, and mm-hmm. guest speakers none of whom mentions God none of whom mentions the Bible I, I, look you can, you cannot you cannot have a Christian country this way. You can't have a, a country based on biblical values. That means that there is going to have to be a uh, a profound change in the way that, uh, that that Christians see the role of Christianity in the public life of the United States. And I, I'm only saying Christians because Christians are the overwhelming majority. Jews have just as much responsibility, but we're you know we're, we're a tiny, tiny proportion of the population, and um, so it. it 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 may be that there is a uh, a need at this time to um, to uh, f- focus on on somewhat different texts, 
uh, w- one of my favorites is uh, a couple of weeks coming a couple of weeks from now is uh, is the the uh, the Jewish commemoration of the festival of Esther and the book of Esther is it's a it's a very very short book um, in 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 which uh, a young Jew- Jewish woman she's not a magistrate you know she she's not appointed to uh, to be the ruler or the officer of some kind of kingdom, she, she's a- almost accidentally dragged into being uh, being the queen of a uh, of a pagan king in Persia, and the uh, the story is about her political maneuvering, also her fasting and prayer and faith, and uh, and the way in which she succeeds in saving her people through. Uh, through worldly means, but worldly means that you know that God is obviously supported. Uh, th- this is this is the kind of thing that uh, at this point it seems to me that Christians and Jews need to revisit this kind of text mm-hmm. uh, that makes it clear that that you can't simply stand idly by uh, while uh, you know, while cultural revolution consumes. And imposes atheism throughout the land. I mean, it, it something has to change, and that change, first and foremost, has to take place in our hearts. Mm. Yeah, one thing I'm reminded of also in Esther is that not not only was Esther at work, not only was her uncle at work, but also the entire nation in captivity had to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. Like they actually had to actively defend themselves from the yeah. predations of of the evil ones there in the empire. Yeah, that's right. You're, you're, you're right, but. Uh, but n- notice that all those those tens of thousands of Jews took up swords only in the wake of uh, Mordechai and Esther's proactive mm-hmm. uh, political maneuvering. If if Mordechai and Esther had not initiated, then we have no reason to think that that these other tens of thousands would have followed them. Mm-hmm. It, it puts a very 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 clear emphasis on the public actions of individuals because without that it's very difficult for human beings to be inspired so if you had to define uh, uh, in a simple sentence or two national conservatism uh, how would you do it well the national conservatism is in it it's in a way it's a, it's a redundant redundant term because uh, uh, anglo-american conservatism um, has been bible focused and therefore nation focused for you know, for, for many, many centuries. Uh, the, the reason that, that my friends and I adopted the, you know, the, the term national conservatism was because um, in, in, in politics post, um, uh, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, let's say, you know, American and European politics for over the last 25, 30 years, um, there, there's been this abuse of the word conservative where conservative has come to uh, to mean liberal internationalism, which is kind of it's kind of a strange historical thing, but people have been going around saying I'm a conservative, when in fact their agenda has been almost exclusively um, spreading liberalism, which is mm-hmm. the concern of uh, concern for individual liberties, uh, in part using American armed forces in all sorts of places around the world. This is the the new world order that George H. W. Bush uh, started talking about in 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 1991, where there would be a single rule of law that would uh, a liberal rule of liberal law that would cover the whole world. And those of us who began uh, organizing to resist this worldview 
because it had forgotten the nation, it had forgotten the family, and it had forgotten God. Um, we we took up the term national conservatism in order to distinguish our our movement from the from the internationalists, you know, from the, from the people sitting in the World Economic Forum, uh, t- talking about erasing all the borders. Mm-hmm. So in in the first instance, national conservatism is uh, is a concern for. Uh, for the independence of nations, we believe that the world is governed best when when nations are allowed to pursue their own course, and we're especially concerned uh, to restore uh, to restore national traditions um, such as Christianity in America and uh, national interests, uh, which, uh, which which includes uh, policies that are concerned um, with, uh, uh, with with with. Uh, the solidity of the family and the availability of uh, uh, of um, uh, good jobs and the capacity for manufacturing in America, Britain, and other countries. Uh, that's our agenda, and um, uh, w- w- people call us natcons for short to distinguish us from the neocons. But the neocons are not. There's not very much conservative about them these days anymore. So, um, so liberalism pursues uh, individual liberty, and conservatism is not liberalism. So, conservatism does not like individual liberty, then, right? <laughs> well, it's everything's a question of proportion. the 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 argument, my argument with with liberals, is that Enlightenment liberalism uh, is built on really on a single value, which is the uh, the 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 freedom of the individual, uh, everything that that goes with it, the equality of the individual, the 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 uh, individuals taking out moral and political obligations upon themselves solely on the basis of consensus, uh, government not having any role other than defending the freedoms of the individual. All of this entire construction is uh, is built on a single principle, which is individual liberty. Now, everyone, all of my colleagues in in the national conservative movement everywhere around the world all of them value individual liberties but um, a conservative uh, uh, understands that there are other values that need to be balanced against that a, a, a very a very good example of a national conservative um, uh, kind of statement of principles is the preamble to the American Constitution uh, where uh, there are uh, seven values written by a federalist statesman named Governor Morris, uh, and uh, and he included seven seven values in in the preamble to the Constitution, which which is in in fact the uh, um, uh, telling you what the American government, the new American government, is for. And you'll notice that the the very first value that he includes for 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 the new Constitution is that he says its purpose is to form a more perfect union. Now you'll notice that forming a more perfect union, uh, or, uh, or 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 promoting the general welfare, these are um, these these are not about the individual. They the, these are uh, about the nation as a whole. It needs to be a uh, a a united country, one that has a, a certain cohesion. Without that, it's not possible to uh, to resist enemies. Without that it's not possible to achieve any kind of uh, uh, great advances in uh, in in the life of the nation. Um, so, if you take those seven 
seven values, one of which is individual liberty, and you balance them properly, uh, then you get a national conservative uh, uh, view, which which prizes liberty, but uh, but is concerned for the welfare and the uh, the welfare, the cohesion, and the strength of of the whole nation, and not just the freedom of individuals. Well, so if uh, you know, for liberalism to to prize individual liberty above all things, you know, it seems as though then the terminus of all things is in the individual, and it's really just another name for for humanism. Mm-hmm. But if uh, individual liberty is for a particular end, you know, you you, you prize liberty so that you can pursue better, higher ends, um, transcendent purposes, goals. Uh, it really seems as though the difference between, um, or one of the major differences between individual or liber- liberalism and conservatism is humanism and religion. Yeah, it's not a question of, of whether we're going to have a religious foundation. It's a question of which mm-hmm. foundation, which religion we're going to have be the basis of our foundation. And one of the one of the things your book helped me to do is to, to see in more stark relief the implications of these uh, two worldviews, the uh, Enlightenment liberalism that has motivated, it seems like, so much of our foreign policy failures and uh, trying to just assume that give a man uh, a quiet spot and his mind, then he will come up with exactly what we are doing and advocating for, which seems to me to be so naive in understanding the effects of the fall. Uh, or this understanding that, no, we're in a real world created by a real God. Uh, we have a real history, and we can learn from that history. God's created this world with hierarchies. He's created this world with differences. And uh, in in the light of those things, we don't just acquiesce to everything that comes against us, but we have uh, scriptures given to us to guide us, but to guide us to live in a real world, uh, in a world post-fall. So that, that's been helpful to me. I hope I didn't misrepresent what you've uh, uh, tried to articulate, but it's been good to think through the, the conservatism, the principles that, that undergird a conservative life in contrast to the way we've been discipled uh, over the last generation or so at least in, in my experience and reading and thinking through my, uh, my own education. And so your book's been bracing and helpful uh, for me in that. Well, I... I, I, I certainly agree, and I appreciate the plug plug for plug for the book. Um, I, I I think it's a we're living in a time where people need to be rethinking, and rethinking at the at the national level means uh, a, a a restoration of a public bi- biblicism, a public Christianity in in America in those places where that's still possible, and I think mm-hmm. it is possible in in many places still in America and in other countries. Uh, but it also means uh, uh, re-examining our our own mistakes, mm. and as as religious people, I think I, I think that we've been mistaken uh, to uh, allow things to get to where they've gotten. And people people have forgotten that uh, Ronald Reagan was not elected president of the United States you know, due to the you know the vast hordes of libertarian uh, supporters that that he was able to get the 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 uh, overwhelming bulk of uh, of uh, Reagan's um, electoral appeal was to to Christians to uh, uh, to to serious Protestants to conservative Catholics and uh, that those forces have have largely disappeared in in America today but not because there aren't plenty of of Christians 
it, but but because um, Christians have have turned in on themselves and uh, have have drifted away from thinking of themselves as being uh, responsible for the future of the republic, but they are. You are. You are responsible for the future of your country, and uh, you know. It, I I certainly agree with with uh, with what you said at the very beginning that you know we're not going to win without without a generous generous assistance from God. Uh, but before we get there, there's an old rabbinic saying, a solis mochalanes, which means that you're 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 not. It's forbidden to depend on a miracle. Uh, you know, we, we can hope for miracles, but we're not allowed to depend on them because that's presumption to think that just because, you know, we'd like a miracle, that that means God's going to show up and give us one. Yeah. Our, our job is to do what we can do. And I don't think we're, we've been doing that. Uh, well, amen to that. I agree with that. And uh, to whom much is given, much is required. And in this nation, we have been given a great deal as uh, stewards of those gifts, we need to think beyond our own little uh, personal lives and recognize that loving neighbor involves trying to do what's right for the welfare of our neighbors and our children and our children's children. So Dr. Hazoni, thank you so much for joining us today on The Sword and the Trial. Uh, we do recommend that you read his book. And, and you, if, uh, if you find it uh, kind of tough sledding at the beginning or trying to get into some of the concepts he talks about historically and the different uh, political movements, go to the back and read his personal story. Read about how he came to embrace a conservative life and uh, ways of conservatism. That might help uh, fuel you and motivate you to go ahead and read through it. But it's a wonderful book to help us to think more critically about what's going on today and what our responsibilities are. So thank you for joining us today. Look forward to having another conversation with you in the future, God willing. God willing. All right. Thank you. God bless all your efforts. Thank you.